Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. And thank you so much for tuning in once again to the second episode of 2020 and the second episode of this new phase of the Good Music Podcast. I had a lot of fun recording the last one. I did, too, and and it was a lot more flowing than I thought it was going to be. Me in front of a microphone is just a disaster waiting to happen, and I was surprised that not many disasters, from what I remember happened yeah um, i mean it was it was a fun time so i'm really excited about going forward with this and yeah I, I was super nervous whenever i did my first several episodes and i just found that when you get to like talk to someone else right it really uh makes the experience so much More easier yeah. yeah and man i used to be so nervous whenever i would do episodes by myself the the first four were solo before i hooked oh, up wow. with justin yeah and it was just this mental uh, gymnastics that you would have to do to, like, make sure you don't talk yourself into a corner. Yeah. Or <laughs> that you don't ramble on too long in different meaningless directions. Right. And just the pressure of you have to always be engaging. You don't have anyone to feed off of. You don't have anyone to pass it on to if you're struggling to get out what you need. Right. And... Um, yeah, so I really like being able to like talk to someone else. So, um, but yeah, I was very very nervous and found that it was easier than I thought it would be. But it's definitely better when you have someone to bounce off of. So right. Um, yeah, you'll have to apologize us for being a little long winded on the last one. I think the last one with the killers was our longest episode we've ever made. Yeah, um, on the. DAW is about an hour 37. Yeah, I think our previous longest was like an hour 20. I can't remember which. I think that was... New record. I think Iron Maiden may have gotten that long, or maybe the Pink Floyd one. The ones where I like really got passionate and just like... It was probably Iron Maiden then. Well, it would probably have been Pink Floyd. Really? One of those. I've told you about my four pillars, right? Iron Maiden. Not Queen, because that's just your favorite band. No, that is one of my four pillars. That is one of your four pillars. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Pink Floyd would be one of them, obviously. Yeah. And I have no idea what And Rush was the Rush. fourth. So Duh, we've, we've talked course. We've talked about all four of those bands so far on the podcast. And so the reason, if, if you haven't listened to any of our previous episodes, the reason I call them my four pillars is because they each contain a band member that is my all-time favorite in that specific area. Okay. So Queen has my favorite vocalist slash frontman right. of all time with yeah. Freddie Mercury. Uh, Rush has my favorite drummer, Neil Peart. Okay. Uh, Pink Floyd has my favorite guitar player, David Gilmore. And Iron Maiden has my favorite bass player with Steve Harris. Iron Maiden has your favorite bass. That is... Oh, yeah. Okay. Whenever, whenever I play bass, that's the person that subconsciously I channel while I'm playing. Things that after the fact I think about it, I go, that was the Steve Harris line that I just played. Mm-hmm. And he's the person that made me fall in love with the bass. So I'll, I'll tell a little story here. Okay. Um, I played bass starting when I was 17. Um, going into my senior year of high school. I was a drummer several years before that. But there were five different drummers in our high school band class. And they were all better than me. Um, and so there's like, well, we don't have room for another drummer. But we do need someone for bass. Do you, would you be willing to learn how to play? And I was just like, sure, because I want to be in band. 
but I hated playing bass just because I was I was bitter that I didn't get to play the instrument that I wanted to play. And so I never practiced. Um, I went through about half a year where I was even playing on stage at church every week. And I didn't even know what the notes on the fretboard were. Wow. During practice, someone in the band <laughs> wow. would have to tell me, okay, hit the second fret on the second string, and then you're going to hit, and like would have to like spell. And eventually I started to pick up on what the notes were, but it took me a really long time because I didn't care. Mm-hmm. And it was about that way for about two years. And one summer I was working out at a, uh, a cowboy summer camp as a camp counselor and one of the activities they had was to have a cowboy saloon band that you would get the kids like hyped up on sugar mm-hmm. you give them ice cream and and oh, you play fast bluegrass music to get them to dance and it was the perfect thing to wear them out so they would go to bed at night because we smart we drove those kids hard smart. on saloon night <laughs> but um i was recruited to be the bass player in that band there was, there was four of us. It was it was me on bass, a good friend of mine on drums. My sister was playing acoustic guitar, and we had a banjo player. Wow. And so we were playing three 20-minute shows a night, four nights a week of wow. fast bluegrass music. And as the summer went on, we kept playing faster and faster <laughs> and faster. Oh. And during that summer, I I got very good at the bass. Be just from the sheer like need of just like oh god this song keeps getting faster and so just right. my, my strumming got faster my mm-hmm. fretting hand got faster and during like um in between like rehearsal each night when we would because we would always swap out songs could be like oh we're bored of the song let's do a new song and so we were always rehearsing before and in between i kind of just started to pick out some iron maiden bass lines right and I started all of a sudden for the first time going, oh, my gosh, I have the speed to play this now. <laughs> and that was the moment that, like, unlocked me going, okay, I love mm-hmm. the bass now because I can play what I want to play. That, wow. So that's why uh, I hold Steve Harris in such high regard because he he's the one that led me to love an instrument that I didn't love before. That seems really weird to have Iron Maiden because it's not known. It's not known as like a bass band, you know. Well, you think, you think of like I don't know Rush or something as being like a bass. I don't band know. I Betty would, Lee's got crazy hands. I but. would say that Steve Harris might be the most famous pure bass player in rock and heavy metal as someone that is not. Also doubling as a singer, someone that okay. his only job is to play bass. And of course, you know, he's a songwriter. He's the leader of the band. He's the one that started the band. That's right. Um, he's the one that whenever he says, I'm done, the band's done. There is no Steve. There is no Iron Man without Steve Harris. And so, like, yeah, you look at other famous bass players. And the, I would say the most famous ones, as far as like people that were stars, like of course you've got the the crazy technical players that jazz people know, right. yes, and um, kind of all that stuff. But as far as just like in rock and roll and heavy metal, someone that was just a bass player mm-hmm. um, didn't play any other instrument. You also had other bass players like John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. He was an incredible bass player, but he was also did all the keyboards he did all of the string arrangements like he was kind of like their swiss army guy it's true um he would play acoustic rhythm guitar if he needed to um 
like just Steve Harris, I would say is the most famous uh, pure bass player out there. And in fact, uh, you know about website Loudwire. Yes. Loudwire said that he was the number one hard rock slash metal bass player of all time. Okay, well, Loudwire has really interesting opinions that I also disagree with, like their obsession with Slipknot. Well, but I love Slipknot too. That's we, that's true. You, you, so you, you need probably to, agree. You should. You need to check it, and you listeners, well, just go check out our Slipknot episode. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, I actually didn't understand Slipknot until they started obsessing about Slipknot. I go, well, now I need to kind of see what this is about, and mm-hmm. it made me a Slipknot fan. They kept obsessing about tool and then finally i was just like fine i'll check this out and i was just like okay i get it now yeah they've done that to me on several bands where Mm -hmm. like you know opeth was another one they just kept like saying that opeth is like the great greatest metal band of the 21st century and i was just like Really? And I, like, listened to him a couple times. I was just like, eh, okay, cool, whatever. But then, like, I just kept listening to him. I was just like, oh, my God. This is this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I have yet to see where th- – and I'm not saying that everyone's going to agree with him or that they are the authority, but they have introduced me to so, so many bands that I never would have found on my own that have now become new favorites of mine that I'm just like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to trust their opinion because okay. I feel like our, our tastes kind of match up. There are some certain things that they'll say, I was just like, yeah, I don't agree with that. But for the majority, right. like when they, cause they did these comprehensive lists of who are the 66 best bass players, the 66 best drummers, singers, bass players. Um, they mm-hmm. picked Steve Harris as number one, which I was just like, Yes, that's the absolute right choice. And they put Freddie Mercury at the top of their singer list. And I was just like, yes, that's the correct choice. <laughs> and so it was just like, you know, I I, I trust their opinion. And so, um, you know, there you have it. So, okay. so that's the long explanation as to why Steve Harris is is so important to me okay. and why I love him so. And there's still to this day, there's no band I have more fun playing bass to than Iron Maiden. Oh, uh, I would I believe that. I mean, the bass lines shouldn't be that complicated. They got to kind of lay down the... Well, I know. He's a very melodic bass player. Really? He plays... He he has the what's called the gallop, where you use your three-finger... That in of itself is a beast to play because it just wears your strumming oh, arm out. Yeah, no, I thought it was hard on guitar, and then I tried it on bass, and I'm like, oh, nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> uh, and he never plays on the low E string. He always wow. plays everything up on the high E, because most of their songs are E, D, C, some variation of that. And so, That's true. They and are. so he's always playing there or even higher, and he's always playing these crazy melodic lines. Like, he plays stuff that I'm listening to, and I'm just like, I don't know how a human being is doing this right now, because this is just fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. After uh, that long tangent. Deal. Yes. So. Bass. Uh, if you haven't already, go check out some of our previous episodes where we talked about these bands. We've got an episode on Iron Maiden. We've yep. got ones on Queen and Rush and Pink Floyd and Slipknot and um, these other bands. So, um Please go hit those. If you like them, please give our channel a subscribe. Leave us a review and a comment. Uh, like I said, we uh, we are going to start looking through 
these comments to see uh, which ones uh, we like, and we're going to put them here on our episodes. So uh, we really want to get your guys' feedback, and that will be a, a cool incentive to do that. Uh, another place that you can uh, communicate your thoughts to us is we have a Facebook page. It's the Good Music Podcast Facebook page. So um, we're going to be posting some different uh, debate topics and some open-ended questions. We'll ask you, you know, just like, you know, what's like like last episode when we talked about the killers, I'll ask, you know, what's your favorite killer song? Did it get up on the episode? So just we want to hear what you guys think. Yep. And um, we also would love it if you would – Donate some money our way. So yes. <laughs> um, there's a link in the description of the episode that will take you to our Anchor page. Um, they have specific dollar amounts that you can uh, agree to every month. And, like, the prices are so low. Like, there's a $1.99 option. There's a $4.99 option. And then if you're really feeling good, there's, like, a $9.99 <laughs> option. Oh, wow. That's I think that's like for the that's like the family price that like yeah. I really want Junior here to succeed so I'm gonna <laughs> give him nine ninety nine. So um, it does really help us because there are a lot of other costs that go into making and also costs that will go into bettering this podcast and so yes. um, the first uh, thing's probably gonna be a better recording space. Yeah. Better recording equipment of some sort. Yeah, um, yeah. you know things like uh, Dropbox and yes, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm I'm constantly purchasing reading material to uh, better educate myself on these bands and um, and also just it, it'll allow us to to do more series. Like there are other offshoots of this that I want to do, like different. Um, uh, series that I want to pursue, and if we can get enough donation money coming in, then uh, I will start to unload uh, some of these other ideas that I have. So um, there is definitely going to be a uh, benefit for you guys. We'll be able to get you guys more content, more quality content, and it helps us to continue to do what we love to do. So um, yeah, just it'll take you exactly where, and it'll the anchor page will show you exactly what to do from that point on. So, um, without any ado, let's go ahead and start jumping into uh, this Today's week's episode. Yeah, yes, uh, Tool. Speaking of Tool, I was talking about them yes, a little bit. Yeah, you were bit. talking about them for for, and I thought that was going to be the transition, and then it wasn't. Um, but Tool is a band that I was told about. A long time ago, I was I was talking with one of some of my music friends, and and they uh, were asking like, "What kind of music are you into?" And I was big into Rush in those days. I pretty much only listened to Rush. Um, and they said, "Oh, you like Rush? You must like Tool." And then I was like, "I've not heard of Tool, but I'll check them out." And then I listened to them, expecting them to sound like you know early '80s, late '70s Rush, and it wasn't. And I was kind of disappointed. And after that. I pretty much gave up on Tool, thinking like, oh, they're overrated or whatever. And the songs that we'll talk about today somewhat changed my opinion, because I'm not as Rush snobby anymore. Um, but they're definitely they're definitely a good band. I, uh, I'll be honest with you guys. I used to despise this band. Okay. Not just I didn't like them, or I was just like, eh, like I used to hate this band. Really? And I never had a really good reason for it. 
There's a lot of yeah. bands that I've had this opinion of that I've, I've drastically changed my mind about. Mm-hmm. Bands that um, received a lot of praise, and I don't know, there was just something about me that was just like, I assumed that they were overrated, right. and was just like, ugh, yeah, bleh, bleh, this, this band stinks. Uh, I, was, I felt like that a long time about uh, Avenged Sevenfold. And then I changed my mind on that. Uh, felt that way about Slipknot. I really changed my mind on that. Yeah, clearly. Um, and then I would say Tool was the biggest one, though. I used to like, I used to like make fun of people that liked Tool. Really? Wow. I used to like, I used to argue about them without ever having really listened. Like I would hear snippets here and there, and mm-hmm. I would just have my mind made. I was just like, it's garbage. I don't like it. And honestly, it wasn't until about. Four, three or four months ago, maybe even less than that, maybe even just been two months ago, that I finally went, okay, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to actually listen to it with an open mind because I probably should do an episode on them because they're very big right now. Right. Like I was, I literally did. they did release a new album. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so this was all for very selfish reasons. I thought, well, this this episode might be popular, so mm. I probably should do this band, even though I don't want to. Yeah. And so I started listening to all their albums to kind of figure out what songs I wanted to do. And I was just like, literally, I listened to it, and I was just like, why did I hate this so much? <laughs> this is actually really good. And I think for a long time... In a bit of similar way you were just describing, I was a huge Rush fan as well. But yeah. also, I knew what because Tool was always labeled as progressive metal. Progressive, yeah. And in my mind, progressive metal was Dream Theater, and it had to sound like Dream Theater, right? Which Dream Theater was just like a heavier version of Rush. It, basically, it's 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 just about the same DNA as far as just the way they structure their songs and how they compose all their lines or and stuff. The lack of structure to their songs. In no, some oh, cases. no, hyper. It's just very complex it's structure. Just, well, Dance of Eternity, you know, it's just kind of like that. Anyway, we're talking about tools. Oh, that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. But it was just like, I kind of understood it in a very different way this time. To me, I see Tool being progressive in the same way that Pink Floyd is progressive. Yes. It's yeah. not the the hyper-technical, even though what they're playing is incredibly technical, but it's yes. not in-your-face technical. It's not all these, you know, like the dream theater stuff mm-hmm. where it's like these really defined melodic lines that are being played. It's more about the complexity is just an ingredient to creating this atmosphere. Yeah. And Pink Floyd would do that sometimes. They weren't yes. near as complex as far as musicianship, what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But if you ever try and like chord out a Pink Floyd song, it gets really difficult. Because they're using really weird, jazzy, avant-garde chords. Yep. Uh, David Gilmour would would craft these guitar solos and guitar lines that, yes, sound simple on the surface, but he's doing a heck of a lot to make it what it is. Right. And so... um, So that's kind of the realization I have. I was just like, okay, 
I just I was thinking about this in the wrong way. Yeah. And now I would say that I am a Tool fan. It's something I never thought that I would say in Ooh. my life. You'd have told me even in, a year ago that I'd have said this sentence. Um, I'd have thought that I'd have lost my mind. Wow. So here we well, are. Maybe you have. I, I would like <laughs> to think I haven't. Okay. <laughs> 2019 was a really strange year as far as the things that I discovered that I liked. And so um, just kind of really getting into a lot of strange areas of metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but really loving what I was finding. So, uh, yeah. So there's only been five people ever in Tool. See, I honestly thought is it is it a four piece? It's a four it's, piece. It's a four piece, and they've only had one lineup change ever, which was a change in bass players. Bass players. Mm-hmm. They had a different bass player. His name is escaping me right now on the first album, and then Justin Chancellor came in on uh, Enema. Okay, and that would be why he's all the way up on that one, or at least to my ears. He's all yeah, the way up. I it, I've never noticed it, and I've never been bothered by it. Okay. Um. And then, you know, Danny Carey has always been the drummer, and uh, Maynard James Keenan's always been the vocalist, and uh, Adam Jones has always been the guitar player. So it's been a pretty stable band for most of their lineup. Yeah. But a very unstable recording career. Right, because this this latest album is their first in, in... 20 years or something? 13. 13. Okay, 20 Still, years. Really 20 years time. is System of Down, isn't it? Now, no. I... No. no. We were talking about Rage Against the Machine. Yes. That's we're we're kind of getting close. I think we're going on 15 years with System of Down, because I think their last one came out in like 05 or 06. Wow. Somewhere in that area. Um, But the, the crazy thing about the Fear Inoculum album was that yeah. this wasn't due to them taking a hiatus... They've been actively trying to make this album for 13 years. Wow. I would say for about eight of those years, they were telling us the album will be out this year. Yeah. And then it never, <laughs> yeah. and then it never would. And there was always this, this other reason why it's like, oh, well, we were in a lawsuit trying to get ownership of our music. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, we had an entire album done and then we decided we didn't like it, so we scrapped the whole thing. Really? Yep. They did that. I know at least once, maybe twice. I'd want to hear that. That actually, um, no way. Okay. Yeah, and just I remember because I, I remember Loudwire would always tell us, "It's like it's confirmed. This is the year the Tool album's coming out," and then it never <laughs> would. Yeah, and they would always be so sad. Um, but it was just it was this fascinating story. Even though I didn't like Tool, I always would read those articles because it was just so interesting to kind of see. Like, because I always thought it was just like, this album will never come out. And even if it does, there's no way it'll be any good. Because right. the normal thing is that when albums take that long to make, mm-hmm. it's not because they're perfecting a masterpiece. It's because they're, they're, they're constantly second-guessing themselves. And right. at that point, they're just, it becomes this muddled mess. Like, look at Guns N' Roses when they tried to make Chinese Democracy. Yeah, that, that is an album of which I only know the title. I don't I've, even know any of the songs. I've listened to it. It's 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 aged a little better. It's okay. kind of one of those albums that as time has gone on, 
uh, it's been kinder to it. It's still not near as good as any of their other, other albums. Oh, yeah. But, man, people got pissed off when that album came out. And that one... T- that was one that they actively spent about 10 years recording. Wow. And it ended up becoming the most expensive album ever made because wow. um, Axl Rose just like would not stop renting recording space. And that was like <laughs> where the majority of the money went was he was just – What What was the price tag at the end? Um, I want to say uh, – I don't want to say it was $10 million. Wow. But it might have been. It was somewhere in that range. So <laughs> I remember I remember reading a long story about it because I was just like, I just want to know, like, why? Why did it take so long? Mm-hmm. It was just like he kept firing musicians and bringing new musicians <laughs> on. And just he became so anal that every song has to be the greatest song he ever wrote. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he... None of them were. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, and so I thought that Fear Inoculum was going to be the same thing. Yeah. That it was just going to be like, okay, we got another Chinese democracy happening. This critically acclaimed band is just like, is going to be obsessed with making the perfect record and it's going to come out and everyone's going to be disappointed by it. Well, well, from my understanding, it seems kind of 50 50 as far as like tool fans. Some people like it, some people don't. I've been surprised by how many people have said that they've liked it. And I like it. I I don't have really much to say. It was like as much like people saying it's like, oh, I remember when Tool was great. And, you know, it's just to me, it was it was different because I was listening to all the rest of their stuff kind of at the same time. Right. And so I didn't have that that judge of time mm-hmm. to uh, give it. And so um, I felt like I had a bit of a different perspective listening to it. Um, I do think that some of their other albums are better, but I don't definitely think it's the worst album they've ever made. And it's got some really great moments, including a uh, a song that's going to be popping up on our list later in this episode. Um, but I think that it came out the end way better than it should have and what I thought it would have. Mm. Like, you know, Loudwire said it was the best metal album of the year. And which I mean, I kind of expected them to anyway, right. but I don't think that that's without merit. I think that there's other metal albums that came out this year that I personally liked more, but this was a very well-made record. Right. And the biggest and most important thing is that it was one of the best-selling albums of the year. Yeah, that that's important for their pocketbooks for sure. Because uh, it took the, 13 years. Yeah, to... of the top 10 albums released. Last year, like the top best selling, it was like number seven, I think. And it was the wow. only. Is uh, that including all genres? All genres. All genres. It's number like, seven. Like it, it beat out Kanye with Jesus is King. Wow. <laughs> um, and so it, it That's was the crazy. only, it was the only album in that top ten that was made by a real band and not by a pop artist or a rap artist or. <laughs> by a real band. Yeah, like yeah, by uh, a group of musicians, by people picking up physical instruments and, and actually and, playing and writing, sticking their a songs. mic in front of the amp. Yep, yeah. So they were the only ones that were able to do it that year, which I think is nice. a. I think that that is a huge achievement. I think it's sad, but I think it's also yeah. good for them. You know, they, uh, to actually kind of make it that big with the still the old 
yeah, old school way. The hilarious thing was watching because um, the album came out the week after Taylor Swift's new album came out, and uh, that their first week because I mean you're not going to compete with Taylor Swift's first week of sales, right? Because no. she sold almost a million just in the first week. Wow, I think it was like nine hundred and fifty or something, mm-hmm. nine hundred fifty thousand, and but then her second week like plummeted hard right and it was less than tools first week and knocked her off of the chart so they were the they debuted at number one the week after taylor swift no way and so taylor swift fans were getting really mad and just going like (laughs) who who are these old guys named tool we should get them off the chart and put taylor back at number one (laughs) and that was a really funny thing to see as well so yeah, I think that the album did really, really well. I mean, whether or not all the fans liked it, that's maybe yeah. another story. But that, that's up for debate. But it did do well. I I think it did better than it should have, and what I thought it would have, as I said earlier. Better than it should have. Yeah, especially you know, just again, it's kind of like movies that they push, they keep pushing the release date back. Like most of the time, that's a really bad sign. It means right. that it's an unsavable. That they're that they're yeah. that they're trying desperately to to fix it, and no, it's taking them a really yeah. long time to fix it. It means that the damage is so extensive that they had to scrap it and start from scratch. Yeah, and I mean, in some very few cases, that has worked. Yeah, but and this would be one of them in the yeah. case of the music industry. Yeah. Um. So yeah, so that's kind of been my my relationship with Tool. Um, I've really come to appreciate Danny Carey's drumming as a drummer myself. Um, I really uh, love Justin Chancellor's bass playing. Yeah. And one of the things I used to hate about the band is I never liked um, Maynard's vocals. Really? But that's but that's they're the thing. really good. Now I've changed my mind. Now I've right. gone okay. I like it now. And mm-hmm. I think the only reason I didn't like it was because again I had that pre. Uh, conceived notion that I just didn't like right. the band, and so mm-hmm. that was an easy thing for me to like. When people go, "Well, why do you hate them?" I just go, uh, "I just don't like his voice." Right. But you know, I've been found out as a fraud, so <laughs> you heard it here first. Yep. Um, but there's also no denying that this is one of the most important metal bands to ever come across. Right. The music industry because they've done something that's so weird and so unique to them yes. and it becomes so big while doing it. Yeah. Um I feel like they are the Pink Floyd of their of of metal because they kind of are, yeah. Pink Floyd always followed their own trajectory. They were always just like away in their own corner while the rest of seventies rock was doing something completely different. And they were yeah. always just trying new things, trying to be really experimental. Trying to be really weird. That's true. Um, and, like, there was no one that sounded like Pink Floyd for many, many years. Just, I mean, there's no one that sounds like Pink Floyd today. Well, no, but we're starting to finally see people, like, take elements of Pink Floyd. Oh, for sure. Really, yeah. for the first time. And the weirdest thing is that it's popping up in heavy metal. Uh, that wouldn't seem weird to me. I mean, there's a lot of Pink Floyd fans in heavy metal. Uh, let me rephrase. It's it's something that normally like you wouldn't expect 
But then, okay. like, when you hear it, you go, well, yeah, this yeah. this is a perfect okay. marriage. But it's it's the thing that if you were to ask someone, you know, where would Pink Floyd's influence be felt most? Probably heavy metal is not what someone would guess. Really? Because that would be my first guess, because that's, you know, 70s rock led to the 80s classic metal led to yeah, but the 90s. I'm, I'm telling I'm telling you, like Pink Floyd did not sound. They were they were a very atmospheric, very chill band with moments, brief glimpses of heaviness. But for the yes. most okay. part, they I were they were influencing the um, the um, what's the word I'm looking for um, the ethereal ethereal uh, side of music. You that know, like the uh, the Bjorks and the Brian Enos and. You know those artists that focused more on just like you know these these swirling soundscapes of just like meditative calm. Yeah. Music. Okay. Those I know what you're are talking the, about. Those are the elements that are starting to creep up in metal with, now. With um, empath, there's mm-hmm. a lot of that on empath. Oh yeah. Devin Townsend. Uh huh. Which is probably my favorite album of this year. That was, I would say it was mine as well. Yeah. And then Slipknot would have been my second one. The We Are Not Your Kind album was pretty great. Um, yeah, Empath was the best metal album of last year for sure. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's it was. It was that's just, got Pink Floyd all over. It was just so weird. Mm-hmm. It was just yeah. It really is Pink Floyd. So like, I've never looking at the eras. This is like we're now seeing the full extent of the influence Pink Floyd had. Right, and I think that Tool is going to have a similar. Um, Influence in their yeah. maybe twenty years from now because we still don't really have a lot of people that are doing what Tool's doing. Yeah, and I don't think anyone should, but we might see maybe more of that in the future. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, when we come back, we'll uh, we'll we'll get a little more nitty gritty with uh, talking about these songs. So. Uh, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. Uh, we're talking about Tool in this episode, and uh, it is time to get into these songs. So if uh, you have never listened to us before, what this segment is, is we pick out six songs, usually, that will be your best first impression of this group. If you've never listened to Tool, like I had barely listened to Tool about three months ago. Mm-hmm. What would be the six songs that you get the best perspective of what the band is while at the same time having an, an interest, pardon me, having an interesting emotional arc from start to finish. So you want to start in a very specific place and end in another very specific place. And then how do the songs in between get you from A to B? Yep. So that's, uh, that's the mindset that I put in these songs. So I'm not, Pick, these are not my picks for these are the six best tool songs objectively yeah um, or I'm not saying that these are the six most popular tool songs I, I threw in I definitely threw in at least one obscure one in there so or at least what I think is okay. in my limited tool mm. I won't say my tool knowledge is limited but as far as just like you know 
I don't I don't know what the consensus of what the favorite. I've I've got a good idea what like two or three of them are, but I don't know what the fan favorites are. I, I have heard of at least three of these before. Yeah. This podcast, so. I'll be interested to know what those are. When well, we you probably could guess. I, I have a, I have an idea, yeah. but we'll see. There's one that I could see going either way. Really? Okay. Because I had heard of four of these six before, just from Loudwire talking about them all okay. the time. Um, so, but yeah, so don't get angry if your favorite Tool song or if a very obvious Tool song is not on there. Mm-hmm. We could come back to this band again in another episode where we dive deeper and pick some different songs. So um, leaving a comment... Or uh, posting on our Facebook page would be the perfect way for you to let us know what songs you would like for us to cover next time we come back to Tool. And also, there is a link in the episode description where you will go to a Spotify playlist with these songs in order. So um, make sure that you check those out, especially if you've never heard these songs before. But even if you have heard these songs before, still listening to them in this order might give you a new experience. So... Um, Please go check that out once you have finished listening to us. So, without further ado, let's get on to the first song. Schism. Schism. Off of Lateralis. Uh Uh-huh. Which, this is one of them that I've heard of before. And I knew the bass intro. Yeah, I feel like this is probably the most... um, Popular. Popular. Like, this is a song that... I had heard tons of times. I hadn't heard the full song, but I knew that bass line. I knew the whole hook of I Know the Pieces Fit, but I hadn't really listened to the other parts of the mm-hmm. song. Um, I had even I had even taught someone how to play that bass line before. And I remember thinking, I was just like, this is a pretty cool bass line. But then my brain told me that I have to still not like this band. Yeah. So I'll probably still, for an eternity, dig that gold mine of what was going on there. <laughs> um... But this is a I this is a really cool way I think to start the list because you have yeah. you have these these bass chords that play at the beginning. Right. And it's just you're kind of like especially if you've never listened to Tool before, you're gonna kinda of be like, Okay, what's what's going on here? Yeah. And then that bass line starts. And I think that yeah. yeah, that's such a great line. It is. Um it is. and I think that this is just a great way to kind of introduce everything. Right. It's still I guess all the songs in this list are lengthy, maybe except for one. Oh, it, it's two. They're long. Yeah. A, a songs that would be really long for other bands, but songs that are maybe just mid. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's a lengthy song, but I feel like it's not too much as a beginner. It's no. just kind of, it's a, no. it's, it's a great warm-up and a great introduction, especially I feel like once you get to the end of the song and, the th- and everything really starts to pick up, yeah. that that's kind of a great signal of what we're going to be experiencing throughout this set. So mm-hmm. uh, what, what are the things that stand out to you about this um, song? One of, one of the things is, obviously this is the first song, and I never really like listened to tool vocals before and so when he's saying kind of the hook and it was it's got to be in a weird time signature because it doesn't sit right and yet it does at the same time but the fact that he makes the the vocal melody pretty melodic uh-huh. even with the weird rhythms yeah i think that's kind of yeah i think the thing that i've grown to love the most about maynard's vocals is maybe not necessarily how it sounds even though i do like it yeah he has done an incredible job of of creating great hooks over 
the most bizarre <laughs> yeah. phrasing. Like, That's true. Like his, he phrases things like when he, especially like whenever they switch up the verse rhythm instead of the ba da 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 da, which is kind of the the normal part. He goes da da. Da, 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 mm-hmm. da, where it's even across two measures, it's not the same, but he's done the math beforehand to figure out how right. he's going to make it fit. Yep. And I think that that's a really, really great thing. He's not just singing the words. like He's really working hard to come up with interesting rhythms yeah. to provide to Some, Something new for the listener to listen to. Yeah. You know, versus just like the same old hook, the same old mm-hmm. way. Which is really admirable because, you know, they're, they're, most bands will have, like, the verse and the chorus, and the chorus will be all the same. Maybe you'll do a different last chorus. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll change, like, one part of the verse. And most of these songs, you know, especially as we get further down the list, I couldn't really, like, say this is the verse, this is the chorus, even though there were still, like, those ideas of, like, mm-hmm. this is a dynamically larger part of the song yeah this is a smaller part of the song there was still those dynamics but you couldn't structure it it flowed but yeah. there was no like this is the structure of the song mm-hmm. but, yeah. yeah yeah they were really good at just creating things that i mean guess if you wanted to structure things like you can but they didn't they didn't they always made it to where it wasn't super predictable yeah like you know you can tell what the maybe the verse is like there's no, like and also having a chorus with no words i always appreciate whenever bands are able to do that mm-hmm. like whenever they're and they kind of go into that uh danny carey goes to the to the ride and hitting mm-hmm. the toms i think that that's a great groove that he goes into um but yeah and then i love the breakdown that goes on later in this song yeah the, with the guitar and i'm and I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk a little bit about Adam Jones and the way he approaches guitar. Yes, okay. Because you he's go ahead and talk about that. Then. I feel like he's <laughs> the least technical player of the band. Like yeah. even Major uh the way that he's approaching vocals is so technical. It is. And of course, Danny Carey is one of the greatest metal drummers of all time. Right. And Justin Chancellor is always coming up with these great but he Adam Jones is always, like, more concentrated with just, like, playing the right thing. Like, if you notice, there's only one song in this set that has, like, a real guitar solo. And... I I really did not even look for guitar solos. Yeah, which, again, that's a good thing. You're not missing it. I'm not, I wasn't missing it. That's true. That's true. He's His guitar playing is interesting enough at all points that... And their, and their arranging is really well done that... You're not having to resort to the uh, to the normal things that you would need in a heavy metal song. Yeah, like a heavy metal band where the guitarist isn't playing that many guitar solos. That's kind of strange. It is kind of strange, and yet I could still see myself as I was listening to these songs, kind of like playing the songs like with a band, mm-hmm. you know, in front of ten thousand people. Yeah, and it was still like that was still a fun thing to imagine, even though there was never like a Guitar solo, mm-hmm. you know, or any any guitar part where it's like I'm the center of attention because you know that's how us lead guitar players are. Is we want to be the center of attention all the time. But mm-hmm. um, he's yeah. he's a he's a very very selfless guitar player. He's always serving yeah. the song at all times, and he's always As one should. Yeah, you know, but really but shows. more I would say more so than all the other bandmates. Like Danny Carey definitely gets to show off quite a bit. Oh yeah, 
Um, obviously, he's the showiest member of the band, but it still works because you you do have someone in the band that is going okay. I'm going to hold everything together for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to choose to not flash so that you guys can. Right. And so that's why I think that it works. Yeah. And I think that the breakdown in the song is a great, like that could have been a guitar solo moment. Mm-hmm. A normal band probably would have put it there. But instead he goes with this really Spartan, very repetitive, but at the same time tension building Guitar with a however it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Some so, of the breakdowns of these kind of run together in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so I think that this is a really cool way to start off the yes. set. It's yes. a song that I feel like, you know, if anyone's heard one tool song, this is probably the one they've heard. And so yeah. even if people don't know a lot about tool it's something familiar that they can start things off with before we start to head into uh different territories right so um and then we have an insane drum moment towards the end of the song where he's just going absolutely crazy on the toms and the double bass yes and um i sent you a video yesterday because I listen to these songs a lot with uh-huh. my son in the car. Right. Every single song he goes, what's this song called, Daddy? Yeah. <laughs> Who's this one by? And I, and I always tell him. And so uh, he's heard Schism quite a few number of times. <laughs> I and, can imagine. And so he'll go, is this by Tool? But I, I'd never heard him sing that song before. We were actually working on a magnetic puzzle together. Mm-hmm. And he starts going... And I was just like, what the heck are you saying? And then he starts just going, I know the pieces fit. And then I was just like, oh my gosh, he was humming the bass line. And now he's singing. And that was the only line he knew from the song. Right. Well, that's the only line I know. Yeah. And so he, that was just like this. I was just like, I love you, son. <laughs> this is, this is yeah, incredible. You sent me that video, and somehow the audio didn't get through, and so I was just watching the video. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to see, but okay. Oh, you, so you didn't... You I didn't, didn't hear it, no. So you still hadn't heard it. I still hadn't heard yeah, it. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's okay. going, I know the pieces fit. I know. And he just kept saying, and then he would go, Wow. And so, yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to the next, next song. Next song, Vicarious. Yes. Off of the 10,000 Days album, which I have heard of both of these as well. Um, not 10,000 Days. Is there a 10,000 Days song? Yeah. Me? Okay. I haven't heard of that as a song. I just knew mm-hmm. of it as an album. And this is probably my favorite of this list. Okay. Just because it's definitely got one of my favorite moments. It it the final chorus yes. has a really good. But when I first heard the final chorus, I thought Mastodon, and I yeah. think I think Mastodon about a lot of things, even though I don't listen to them very often. But it oh, just, we'll do an episode on that. It sounded point. like Brand Daler doing one of his kind of clean choruses. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting because you're right. I but I've mm-hmm. never thought of it that way. Yeah, but and, yeah, that. Uh, his singing on that last chorus is really good, yep. and the drumming really goes to another level on but, that as well. But when you listen to it again, it doesn't. That final chorus doesn't subtract from the other ones. No, you know those are still really good. Mm-hmm. You're, it's not like you're waiting for that spot. It's not like, 
oh, they got to sit through the first, you know, however many minutes. But it, it cleverly is. builds up to it. Yeah. You enjoy the first, you know, however, six or mm-hmm. seven minutes. Yeah. And then when it comes in, it's like, yes. Yeah. The, That's exactly how it should be. And those but, those are the yeah. moments that I I love in music where it's every everything builds to an important tension yes. releasing moment. Mm-hmm. Like when that uh, when he starts just furiously strumming the guitar during the drumming, the and he's like, and you just feel it's just like, okay, we're we're about to go somewhere right here. Yeah, the roller coaster is going up, 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 and down we go. You even have that brief moment where you're at the top of the hill, but you haven't started going down yet. Where it kind of like it goes down for a minute and then it builds back up and it just punches you in the face. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, the lyrics in this are so interesting. Did you ever? Did you? I, ever, did I you... tried to listen to them. I didn't want to look them up. I tried to yeah. listen to them. Mm-hmm. And from what I understood, it, it's something about, and I don't remember any specifics, but I came up with the interpretation that it's something about like media or like controlling media or something. So it's about how people um, love to see tragedy on TV. Specifically they're talking about the news and just about how the news only ever talks about the terrible things that are happening in the world. Yeah. And about just kind of, you know, how Spinal Tap definitely said a death sells. Yeah. And um just about like we we are the people that are perpetuating this, you know. Mm-hmm. The reason they keep reporting on death is because we love it. We live vicariously. That would that through, would be it through the the death and the violence that we see in our everyday lives um i'm trying to think of the line that really pushes it um about uh i can't remember off the top of my head but i remember there's a there's a specific line that he says like right before the the chorus we all feed on tragedy there we go yep and so just just like describing that people are vampires that they just like they just they they nourish themselves on the um, on the destruction of other people mm-hmm. and you know as long as we do that then they're gonna continue to make that what they give us they're giving the people what they want yeah and there's like there yeah. there's this thing inside us even though we would never admit it out loud even though we would never say yeah I love to watch. I love it whenever I see people that are getting killed on the news. And, it's interesting, but you know, that's it's but, it's new. Yeah, you know it's people don't up, people don't want to have a news block that's just full of cats getting saved out of trees and right and yeah. people helping old ladies across the street. Like when, when the when the therapy dog section comes on, you know the morning news. That's when you go refill your cereal, right? Yeah, like nobody wants to see that. You know, why? That's probably why tragedies are always viewed not or i shouldn't say viewed a lot but there's a lot of people who who flock to the tvs when something bad is happening because mm-hmm. they want to see it Pe- people yeah. want to see the car wreck people want to see yeah you can't yep. turn your head away so that's uh that's what that song it, is it may be a product of action movies it may be a product of just i just news I think, business i think it's just part of people being people or, yeah that's I, probably just i it. think it's the it's the it's the dark the darkness that is in every person. That <laughs> in just, every person. Yep. So, yeah, um, I love all the beats in this mm-hmm. in this song. I feel like I everyone. This is a this is one of the few songs that I like off of the tenth album. I actually really? found that that's my least favorite album. I've okay. listened through all of them, but 
I think that Vicarious is like way, way, way a step ahead of all the other songs on that album. There's some other ones that I was just like, yeah, that's pretty cool. The Pot's a cool song. 10,000 Days itself was a cool song. Mm -hmm. um, but I felt that that was definitely the uh, the apex of that album. It's the album opener, so this is kind it's of... It's a good opener. <laughs> yeah. But I also feel like it feel it it sets for a good song, too, because mm -hmm. it's, we've ramped up the intensity from song one, and then we're going to get into some really intense stuff coming into our next song. Right. Which is... 46 and 2. This is my favorite song on the list. Really? Okay. Yeah. When I first saw the title, I thought of 25 and 6 to 4. Oh, yeah. By Chicago. Yeah. And so... I love that song. Anyway, but this is this is another one of those that I don't really know what the meaning of it is. It's, there was it's a really yeah. weird meaning. There this was one the, point in it where it was like forty six and two ahead of me. Or something. Yeah, so it's yeah. that's going on. Um, there's a famous psychologist slash philosopher named uh, Carl Jung, mm -hmm. and uh, one of his theories was that humans will reach their final evolution if they're able to gain like. I think two more chromosomes because we normally have 46 chromosomes. Wow. So that's 46 plus two extras will turn okay. us into like hyper, like hyper humans. Okay. Super I thought this humans. was going to turn into a transhumanist, like turn us into computers or something. No, it's kind okay. of like, it's like we, we become like metahumans. Okay. Like if we can figure out how to evolve. Wow. And so it's just, you know, it's, there's a lot of philosophy that Tool uses that I don't agree with, but it's still interesting it's to still read. It's still interesting to write about. Um, and they made a heck of a song out of it. Mm -hmm. That uh, that opening guitar line, that's like that's like spine shiver guitar line right there. That's like yeah. he he starts playing that, and you immediately know you're in for something. And this this was their second album, right? This is yes. off their second album. This is the first one with the Justin first Chancellor. one with the new bass yeah. player, which uh -huh. I commented earlier that it sounded like his bass was all the way up. Um, and it did. You know, I, I first heard it in my car stereo. You know, yeah. I was kind of listening to it while I was driving, you know, downtown between my house and university. And um, you go to university. I go to the university. <laughs> we'll say university. Uh, whatever. Um, and, and then also it's like the snare on that album, which you're a drummer. So mm -hmm. you have more, like more authority. To me, it sounded exactly like the snare from St. Anger. It's just the rubber ball. They made it work. They certainly made it work. You know, it, it wasn't like a bong, bong, bong sort of thing. Yeah, I man, I don't think it sounds like that at all. It doesn't. It, it doesn't I think it's, a, it's definitely it's the a, way he used it. It's the I think it's, it's a high-pitched snare, but, man, I think also what helps is they didn't put a crap load of reverb on it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They didn't make it the loudest thing in the mix. Yeah. No, they made the bass the loudest thing. But I think his bass sounds great. Oh, it sounds good. It sounds good. It's just I, I felt like I couldn't hear mm -hmm. the vocal line. There's and just, that kind of, at that point. And there's like, just, gosh, there's some heavy, heavy guitar parts. Yeah. Where he's just crunching. Like when they do mm -hmm. those hits, bow, 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 yeah. bow, Oh, bow, yeah. Bow, 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 bow. bow. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, my favorite part is the breakdown with the drum solo in it. Mm -hmm. Where they where they switch to seven eight instead of four four because normally it's one two three four five six seven eight throughout when they're playing the main verse uh -huh. but then they switch to seven, which you would think that a lot of bands do the opposite, um, right. 
Because I remember like uh, Pink Floyd and Money. Mm-hmm. The majority of that song's in seven. But and then the David Gil- David Gilmore is just like I can't think about playing a solo in seven. Really? Just switch it to four. Okay, that's the reason why it switches is because David didn't want to have to think about doing a solo in seven. But they did the opposite. They mm. do their song in four, and then they switch to seven for the drum solo, which is like the drum, which that's going to be the harder part. Cause, yeah, because <laughs> he. And this is something that I really noticed about Danny Carey's drumming, and mm. kind of a, a, a personal quirk of his. He loves to do out-of-time fills that span multiple measures to where he's doing something that whenever the, the what everyone else is playing ends, he's on a different beat than him, but he's worked it out to where he knows where he's going to end. Yeah, I did notice that. Like yeah. when he does that really big fill at the end where he's going, because he's playing that fill in four and they're playing mm-hmm. in seven. Mm-hmm. And so it really tricks you out when he hits that snare and goes into into the one. Like he's... Like the the planning that goes into that, and the right. like he literally has to do math in order to figure out where the correct beat to come in is <laughs> yeah. because he's he's that not would fit the tool stereotype because he's yeah. not resetting when that measure of seven starts over. He mm-hmm. just just keep going as if he's everyone else is in four, but then he ends right at the perfect point and it, and it works. And so, for me as a drummer, hearing that stuff and just the right. way he's forming all these fills he's doing is just like to me that's the song that that's why it puts over the top because I hear that and I just okay. go, yeah. As a drummer, I really really appreciate what he's doing here. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about just overall the Enema album, like. Because the only album that's not being represented on this list is the first one, Undertow. Mm-hmm. Mainly just because I didn't... It's not because I don't like it. Um, I actually like it a little more than I do 10,000 Days, but it's definitely my second least favorite. <laughs> second least Just because it's just... It doesn't have as many... Cool, it's definitely the band trying to kind of figure out what they are. It's a much yeah. more simplistic mm-hmm. record, and you could tell a bit more towards like songs that maybe could be on rock radio or, you know... Mm-hmm. Um, you say undertow, and I think God in the undertow. That one, which is probably not even them, is it? What song is it that? Was, that's got to be a Limp Biscuit or Lincoln Park song. It's like God in the undertow, God in the undertow, something like that. That's that's the only part I know. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Um, but you listen to where they were on Undertow, and then listen to where they were on Enema, mm-hmm. and it's just like a what the heck this is there was this huge just spike up in songwriting and musicianship like they kind of sounded like kind of almost a lot of other bands did in the mm-hmm. early 90s when undertow came because that came out in like 91 maybe 93 at the latest because mm-hmm. enema came out in 96 i wouldn't know so don't look at me like like I know. Oh, the I'm not. I'm not. That's just that's just me going into my brain here. Okay. So, but just the 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 huge jump forward. I want I want to think that it's no coincidence that they made this big jump once Justin joined the band. I probably not. Um, or if that was where they were heading anyway, and they just happened to get a musician that could go along with them, or if he really was a contributing factor in songwriting and bringing interesting ideas but like it's not it was not a gradual uphill to where like the first album's here the second album's a little closer and then by the third album like it's just like here boom up here Mm -hmm. 
And so I, and I think 40, a song like 46 and 2 really shows that, that they're just, they're riding on a whole new level at that point. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is my favorite song on the list. Okay. And I would say right now, yes, this is my favorite Tool song. Wow. It's, it's okay. the one that if I'm going to put one Tool song on, I want to listen to this one, mainly so I can get to that drum section. Yeah. <laughs> now, the rest of the song yeah, is great as well, but that's that's the thing that hooked mm-hmm. me to where I was just like, oh, I'm looking forward to listening to this song again. Yep. Um, I just have to say, it'll come back to me. But um, Okay, apparently it won't come back. Come back. It'll come back probably while we're talking about the next song. Yeah. So, so where do, where do we leave off with how? So we end with forty six and two. We live. We, um, what and do you mean where we leave off? So like, how does that set us up to our next song? Well, the culmination of where we've been building up to these first three <laughs> songs. I I don't know. I mean, they all seem relatively high energy. Mm-hmm. And the next song kind of starts pretty low until you get to. The chorus section, and it's kind of just, you know, basic, from what I can tell, 4-4 four, four, or something 4, kind of just rock, you know? Maybe not 4-4. Four, four. No, oh, there's, it's not there's, four, four. there's nothing 4-4 well, four, four well, in that song. <laughs> oh, not, not a single section. I mean, I know the well, verses, maybe I wouldn't the verses say. are like 7-8, 8-8, 9-8, something like that. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I won't be so bold as to say there's no 4-4, four, four, but it's definitely no substantial sections are in 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, okay. Maybe there might be my, maybe there's maybe head. there's some yeah. passing measures in four four, mm-hmm. but definitely not any substantial any sections. Yes. Um the song Lateralis off of the album of the, the same title. The title track. It's the title track. This is the first tool song I ever actually heard of. Uh-huh. And well, it's, um, the, it's the one that everyone talks about right. as going why you Why? should listen to Tool because yeah. like I remember that was something that always annoyed me when people are just like you should listen to Tool you know they made a song that was about the Fibonacci sequence yeah and that's what I heard and I'd too and I'm just like shut yeah. up yeah and and there was uh, it was some I can't remember who it was it was probably like Spectre Sound Studios or somebody did a, did a video on this song and they were breaking it all down and breaking down the lyrics and how the lyrics were the Fibonacci sequence and, yeah, uh, and actually uh, in the Fibonacci sequence. Pol- Polyphonic did a video on, mm-hmm. on it that gave me a lot of information right. just about how it's the, the one, 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 two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, and it gets it gets hard to count after a while and then it just mm-hmm. kind of turns into a normal, like, yeah. vocal line. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, um... Mm-hmm. You you just have to appreciate just the the, the thought and yeah. the brain power mm-hmm. that goes into, and I think honestly they kind of they kind of left themselves with nowhere to go after that. Really? Because like as far as just future albums, like I feel like they hit something that's so weird, that's so brainy and so intellectual. That's that just works. like how yeah. do you how do you top that? How do you top writing an entire song centered around a mathematical equation slash pattern you just do it with pi <laughs> just keep going just pick another number yeah you know? um well i mean well no because the fibonacci has to start has those specific numbers that's true well i mean yeah you okay. can't start with another number and it's like that's the whole point of it yeah 
Um, but just, and not even saying Fibonacci sequence itself, but just like, what other concepts do you pull from that that people are going to be as impressed by mm-hmm. without it now be going, okay, now their gimmick is that they're going to try all of these. Yeah, that's true. It's kind of like when you make your masterpiece, it's the greatest thing you'll ever do, but it's also like the worst thing you'll ever do. Because, because you'll nothing, never... You'll never be able to beat it. Mm-hmm. And while, I mean, I would say from an objective standpoint, this was their greatest triumph as mm-hmm. far as just from a purely um, theoretical level, as far as right. just like the, the concept in of itself of what they achieved. I think that it's it stands as one of the most brilliant song ideas ever put to paper as far as just like the way that it's woven into the lyrics and the yeah. the syllables that he's pronouncing and mm-hmm. the time signatures right. and like it's just all 1 million of them. Yeah. <laughs> a lesser band maybe would have picked one of those things, mm-hmm. but then the fact that they interwove it like they were even talking about the the times that these sections started like really yeah like there's like like the time stamp like it started a minute 57 or whatever yeah like yeah exactly like there'll be a um um or like they'll say like at a minute 23 the verse starts exactly and it's just like those and i think some of that stuff is coincidental right but at the same time it's kind of freaky that it did happen that way um or like at the 235 mark maybe that was it at the 235 mark the, the verse starts mm-hmm. which is a, a fibonacci order yeah. 235 yeah. Mm-hmm. and it's just like you do something that's so genius like that anything else is going to kind of either be not as good or it's going to people are going to say that you're just trying to do the same thing again right and so it's almost and I th- I think that's a reason why 10,000 Days is not considered one of their seminal because records. it's right after it's right after I think it had the unenviable task of being a follow up because Loudwire and I'm, you're gonna I'm yeah. always gonna be quote I'm not saying because I agree <laughs> with them but I'm saying they said it okay. they said it was the greatest album of the 21st century of what year was Came out in 2001. Lateralis was 2001, and then 10,000 Days was two years. That was 2005. 2005. Right, okay, and then that would bring us up to... No, so that would have been 2006 then. That would bring us up to where we are now with Fear Inoculum Mm -hmm. being the next one. 13 years later. So they only have five albums. Yep. Crazy. I know. Wow. Uh, They got an EP thrown in there that came out before the first album, Opiate. Well... I, a lot of, I can imagine. A lot of fans consider that to be like an album. They, okay. they treat it with the same reverence. But besides that, I mean, they didn't really release e- other EPs or bonus songs. Like, And that, that EP had different songs. It wasn't a demo. It was like, no, like okay. there, there weren't any songs that appeared on there that uh, later were on Undertow. <laughs> but yeah, I just, I think that they kind of like created a situation where it's just like, well... I mean, we're going to create great music, but, I, like, they're not going to reach the level. And I, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what the struggle of making Fear Inoculum was. Probably. Maybe. Yeah. Just kind of just going, okay, can can we make an album that's as good mm-hmm. as Lateralis? I don't think it was. Um, even though, I would actually say, though, Enema is my personal favorite. It's just the songs mm-hmm. tend to speak to me a little more there. 
but you know i i think that objectively lateralis was the best record it's kind of hard right. when you have to try and distinguish between what do you think is objectively better and what is personally your favorite yeah I well have to... probably lateralis objectively just because of the title song mm-hmm. right well i mean schism is great the grudge is great um right parable peril parabola parabola whatever right. you say it that's great <laughs> parabola parabola <laughs> yeah i sound like an idiot <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, and so I felt like the fourth song was the time to to introduce the grand epic, the one that really, um, especially, you know, you've got the slow build up and it's just kind of like everything's moving towards this point. Mm -hmm. So where do you go after that? Well, next song, are we going to the next song? Yeah. uh We're going to push it off Emma, which I think this is the one that you kind of yeah threw in there mm-hmm. to kind of I, mess with people. For a long time, I had a different one in there. Mm-hmm. I had the much more popular uh, Enema title track. Okay. Um, and it was when I... And I picked that song out before I'd listened to the full album. And I heard Push It, and I was just like, well, maybe I like this song more mm-hmm. here. I think that it might be a better bridge. Because it's like after Lateralis, it's almost just kind of like okay, we we need something different, mm-hmm. something that yeah. Like, after Lateralis, you need something different. That's and the definition of different. A, right? a, a palate cleanser, but at the same time, something that's going to challenge your what mm-hmm. you're listening to. And I think that Push It is a really one of the more unique songs in their catalog mm-hmm. because yes, it's got a lot of the Tool isms. But at the same time, there's so much reserve in it, mm-hmm. and like the uh, the the artistry is more subtle here. And I really love. It was kind of generic, from what I heard. It for Tool, mm-hmm. it seemed just kind of like almost as if another band could have written this song. I don't know. I don't agree. Really? Because, okay. I mean, this song goes so many weird directions. It goes. It goes weird directions, but. Bands go weird directions all the time. I mean, it it, it it sounded like somebody trying to be too. So, and so from what I'm gathering, this is the song you did not like. I did not like this one. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm really starting to pick up on what kinds of songs you like and don't like. Yeah. Don't don't have that change your... Oh, no, it okay. won't. It won't. But it's, it is interesting to know. And I think that that's something that... I, when I would, I'm gonna sound so old. When I was your age, <laughs> I didn't appreciate these kinds of songs. Mm-hmm. It's kind of more as I've gotten older, I've really grown to love these kinds of songs because, in my opinion, they're more impressive if you can write songs that are simpler but at the same time way more unique sounding. Yeah, like I, um. You're going to find as we do different bands that there are certain songs that I'm just like completely wowed by that I'm going to say this is the more impressive song. Yeah. And because it's a harder song, in my opinion, to write. Mm -hmm. I feel like you can it's easier to write a song like Vicarious or Schism than it is to write a song like Push It. 
because it's really yeah okay i see what you mean it's really really easy to overdo that song yeah instead the song is exactly what it needs to be without sounding conventional those are the songs when i really perk up my ears and go wow what a great written song Mm -hmm. um finger on the table yep you can tell that i'm starting to get passionate now so you're i'm gonna put those songs into these lists because those are the ones that i feel like you know even if they're not considered by the large populace to be the the favorites Mm -hmm. those are the those are the songs where i'm just like this is where you really see the artistry coming in yeah in the same way like lateralis i would say is also in that area but but at the same time it's it's just kind of it's it's a big song yeah and it's very them lateralis is more in your face about it yeah that's true you can really sense all the complexity right when you're listening to it push Mm -hmm. it is one of those ones the more you listen to it the more the layers start to peel back and you start to go oh oh (laughs) when you kind of when you when you realize where it's taking you you enjoy the journey more and more as you get there mm-hmm. like because obviously the whole song builds to that that big high note that he hits at the end and i'm, I'm, I'm not, not talking about the one where he hits by himself it's the one he does afterward where it's a bit more of a scream to it that's the point where i'm just like yeah that's why i like this song because the song carefully constructs a way to get to that point yeah I'm seeing it in my head. I'm seeing your logic. I'm mm-hmm. seeing the yeah. You're gonna okay. really start to see how my musical brain works and just kind of the things yeah. that I see. Because you did say that you at heart are like a pop fan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we probably all are. And I would say I'm equ- I'm I'm a pop prog fan. Yeah. So those are those are kind of the two, and then metal just kind of kind of forms around that a little <laughs> bit. But metal is actually not what's at my heart. Yeah, um, I would say pop is at my heart and prog is at my heart because mm-hmm. I just love the experimental nature of prog. Yeah, 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 me too. So, um, so yeah, I just I think that Push It is um, just such a great song to kind of again cleanse the palate a little bit, have something that's a bit more sonically rich, something that um, doesn't isn't just so white knuckle the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, something where you're not just like, you know, by this point, especially if you're not a metal listener, the, the heavy guitars are going to start to really weigh on you at this point. And I think that push it really helps to kind of reset things while still providing a great emotional punch before we get to the, uh, the, the wild f- epic at the end, which Tempest with a seven at the beginning, <laughs> seven Nimpest. <laughs> I, um, I, I actually don't know why they spelled it that way. Yeah, it, <laughs> uh, it's interesting, but it it still looks like Tempest. Yeah, and, and they, they so they pronounce it in the song Tempest. Yeah, um, this song when I first heard it, my and it, in a very different way from the Enema album, I thought Saint Anger. Because it's like they went through the first part of the song sounded like the same riffs like too many times. Okay. You know, and, and it's very interesting that you said, like, you like Fear Inoculum. Mm-hmm. And if this is your Fear Inoculum song, it gets better towards the end. But it, at, within the first six minutes, it seems like we're still getting into the song. Like, we're still building up. Mm-hmm. 
because we've done the same three riffs like for six minutes. But anyway, um, and and of course, Saint Anger did that all over the place. Yeah, Saint Anger did that in a really bad way. Though. Yeah, yeah, and it's not to the extent that this song is. But on my first listen, that's what I thought. Yeah, and and after listening to that multiple times, it kind of grew on me. It was kind of like an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. But um, I, yeah, I don't know that. Initial thoughts, yeah. Yeah, so um, obviously, you know, this is this is the big rousing end to the set, the uh, the, the the titan mm-hmm. at the end of the line. Yeah, and so I really really like this song. I am I'm okay when things repeat. Yeah, I'm not someone no, me, that's, me that's always too. needing something fresh. And to and to me, like the drums are keeping things fresh, um, and. That's true. You are listening to the drums. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I don't. I'm, I might be listening to the wrong parts. Then. Well, I mean, you're <laughs> gonna listen to things that are unique to you. And right. S- but I mean, there in certain ways there are certain mindsets you have to be in to listen to particular. Mm-hmm. And that's actually one of the the main reasons I created this podcast was to give people the opportunity to, because like if you try and listen like. I explained to people before, if you try and listen to classical music the same way that you listen to pop music, you're going to hate classical music because it's mm-hmm. not at all meant to be the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not as centered on hooks and verse chorus structures. Like, yeah. um, you can't listen to progressive music the way that you listen to prog or pop music. Right. Um, I think that sometimes you can have pop elements in there, but it's if you listen to it in the same brain, you can't even really listen in the same brain that you would listen to traditional heavy metal or classic rock. Mm-hmm. It's kind of you got to kind of be in a different brave wave, a brain wave, brave, brave wave, brave wave. Yeah, um, no, I guess that comes back to like why I didn't like Tool initially. Yeah, I was expecting something that it wasn't. And I was the same way. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully admitting That's right, that I was, yeah. I was a fool. So, but the thing that I really like about Tempest is that exactly, you think you know where the song's going. Mm-hmm. And then it takes you all of a sudden on this different path. It, it does, yeah. No, it, it, it there's a, I, I can't put my finger on it, but there is a change mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle of the song where it's like, it's almost like a different song. Yeah. But and, there's no pause, there's no break, there's mm-hmm. no... I think that it's really cool how they kind of transition you away from the meat of the song all of a sudden now to this this other course. Mm-hmm. It's like you're um, you're eating a you know a thing of popcorn and then all of a sudden like you eat half the thing and there's you know cheese popcorn for the second <laughs> half and you're just like well I wasn't expecting this but cool yeah <laughs> that uh, is true that is true and Adam Jones kind of finally. Uh, comes out and annihilates the guitar for yeah. the first time in this set. Yeah, well, it's his last chance. Um, which is exactly why I like to have this at the end. Which is, yeah, I, I can imagine. But um, I, I wouldn't say it's in the grand scheme of guitar solos, it's like up there. Oh, no. But when it, when it, when it came on, I was like, you know, this guitar solo serves the song. Yeah. And I it and fits. I will say, of the six songs, this is probably my least favorite one, but that doesn't mean that I don't mm-hmm. like the song. I really, really like this mm-hmm. song. Um, 
I just happen to like the other five slightly more. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, saying, what's your favorite kid? Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, it's easy because I only have one. So Wait, I'll just yeah. say, my kid. Yeah. I probably shouldn't use that analogy. That's terrible. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that this song is is the right way to end the set, though. I think that yeah. it's, I think it's it's it delivers this big, it's the big grand epic. final statement. Yeah, especially that last time that the tempest must be. The, 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 he's getting into mm-hmm. that for the last time, and it's just it kind of mm-hmm. creates this big whirlwind of just like everything's coming together and falling apart at the same time, mm-hmm. and it leaves you with that satisfying, just like okay, I just went through some huge journey and now yeah. it's done yeah that's true so it does do that so yeah that's our set that is the whole set so when we come back we're going to talk about the bonus song and we're going to give our final thoughts so stay t- welcome back to the good music podcast we uh just finished talking about our songs that we picked for tool just to recap those songs were schism vicarious 46, 46 and 2, two lateralis push it and seven Tempest, Tempest, whatever. Yeah. So now it's time to talk about the bonus song. It is Judith by A Perfect Circle. Yes. Yes. Um, so you know what the connection between the two bands is. Other than Weird Prog, no. Uh, you didn't recognize the singer. I didn't. I didn't. No way. You would. Okay. Wow. That's Maynard James Keenan singing, boy. Uh, uh, well, you did that with the last one. So I wasn't expecting it. Yeah, but I mean, this isn't a solo. This is a. This, this isn't is a, a solo, and that's probably why I didn't. It's you know, yeah. It's a. It's a. It's a side solo. project. There's a difference mm-hmm. between a side project and a solo band. That's true. Um, but this this was a side project that ended up actually becoming a huge force in of itself. Right. I I have heard of a perfect circle. Not at near as much as Tool. Mm-hmm. But. Um, or other bands, but I've I've heard of a perfect circle, and I've kind of heard they're kind of also a weird, like almost mathematical prog, mm-hmm. which would make sense if he's the same vocalist. They've also got uh, the guitarist for Smashing Pumpkins in there. That's what he did. That whenever. is that is a, something I've not heard in a long time. Yeah, Smashing. Pumpkins. Oh, we'll do an episode on them at some point. Too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's it's definitely it's definitely a super group. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of like these musicians on break from their other bands just going, hey, right. let's get together and do something. And it ended up becoming way bigger than what they thought it would be. Wow. Yeah. So, but yeah, this is a this is a really cool song. I the, feel like that this is a great like it's it's similar to what we just heard, but it's it's a it's bit a nice change. It's a bit simpler. Mm-hmm. It is it's a little more high energy. Yeah. From what I can tell. Yeah. And it's got really weird lyrics to it. Well, Major James <laughs> Keenan's lyrics are always weird. Well, yeah, but like I could actually hear them for a change. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, this this song is so well produced. Oh yeah, no, it it sounded like the sound engineering was top notch. The 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 drums in particular, I really mm-hmm. enjoyed how they sounded yeah. on this song. But this this was a good song. It was certainly the shortest of all the mm-hmm. songs in this set, which kind of was refreshing after the fifteen and a half minute long. That epic. was that was by design. Yes, I okay. Yeah, <laughs> there's you're gonna find there's very few accidents in all of this. Uh, I I wanted to listen all the way when I listened through all these. I wanted to listen all the way through Tempest 
or seven impist or whatever um so that i could listen to this song because it was it was shorter and it was more refreshing and i knew that if i got to the end of this long thing i could have this really nice short thing yeah well there you go i'm i'm just like that that's just me Mm -hmm. and i i don't know if anybody else gets that but i do so um i did like this song very interesting that it's a different vocalist or same vocalist, yeah, but different different musicians. Mm-hmm. Don't don't expect that to always be the thing, but sometimes that can be a very easy thing to use as a connective tissue. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. or to at least have some band member mm-hmm. in the process. So, um, but yeah, they uh, they've kind of almost become. I mean, they didn't get near as big as Tool did, but yeah, it became this very big sensation. In this. And they had another. They also had a really long period in between albums. They had a new album come out last year. They have two, maybe three. three. There's two I know of for sure. Okay, maybe there's a third one in there. At what time frame are we talking? Where this is, they made the first Perfect Circle record in between Lateralis and Ten Thousand Days. Okay, so early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Um, I haven't listened to the rest of their stuff, but I want to, because I like mm-hmm. Judith. I think that's a great song. I'd it be curious to see what the rest of their um, what the rest of their sonic palette is. You didn't listen to all their songs before picking the song? No. Nope. Just? I tend not to with the bonus song. Okay, you just kind of, like, picked one? Or? That's, that's two. Well, I mean, like, I listened to a couple and picked the one that I liked the most. Okay. And uh, I also did some research, and that was the the consensus best song. So I also used that as well. But yeah, so what okay. are, what were your thoughts before Tool, and what where do they stand now? Before, kind of indifferent. I didn't hate them like you did, but I didn't really like them. Um, certainly, I didn't hate them as much as I hated the Killers, and. I kind of like them now. There are some songs that I'd probably add to, like a. What's going on? Oh, sorry. <laughs> there are some songs on this list that I would add to, you know, some of my playlists that I listen to while I'm doing work or whatever. And I don't know. Some something about his vocals mixed with the the strangeness atmospheric of the instruments it it works mm-hmm. it's a formula that works but it's not formulaic yeah so i like it. i like their band good i like the band uh so you said that vicarious was your favorite vicarious was my favorite i wouldn't say by far because i did like schism and lateralis a lot yeah um but it's it's my favorite yeah so yeah yeah i gotta go with 46 and 2 for me um with I would say Vicarious being in second, mm-hmm. and then push it right after that. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I would disagree, but um, we it's okay. We it's don't have it's to, personal. We don't have to agree. It's personal. That's not um, the, that's not the point. It's not the point. But yeah, my uh, the pendulum has shifted. Yes, for um, you certainly. It was even funny. Like my birthday was last September, and right. my wife was considering what to get me for my birthday, and. Even then, in September, she was just like, "Do you like Tool?" And I was just like, "No, I don't want to. I don't want to get concerts for a Tool concert or tickets for a Tool concert." Wow. And now, if she had asked me that, I'd been like, "Yeah, I'll go to Tool concert. That sounds great." (laughs) 
So, in just a few months' time, my opinion has radically changed, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah. The, the power of music. The power of music. The well, power within. Yeah. Well, that is our episode. Um, again, please uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what uh, tool song that you would like us to cover next time if your favorite was not on the list. And uh, leave us a review. Leave us a comment. Go visit our Facebook page. And in the description of the episode, not only will you find a link to the Spotify playlist where you can hear all these wonderful songs, but you will also uh, find a link to where you can send us some money. So uh, any donations would be gladly accepted. And next week, we're going to be shifting gears pretty radically. Uh, I won't say who the band is yet. I'm going to leave you guys in suspense. But we are definitely uh, not talking about anything metal in this next episode, but, uh, definitely a, a very, very important band for me and a band that is near very, and dear to my part. Very big band. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, make sure that you tune in next Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central to see what that band is. And, uh, I just want to give another big, big thank you to all of you guys that tune in every week. And, uh, I hope to see you next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.